Welcome to the Brand Spanking New Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Adams. As of this glorious Monday morning, the Joker had the last laugh down under, a Houston player has resorted to cannibalism, and Shakira's microphone feels a little violated by a halftime show. But we begin with the three most important things that rocked our world and changed our perspective over the past seven days, or more specifically, the best of last week. First, the Super Bowl was everything we thought it would be. We had an exhilarating finish, we had phenomenal athletic plays, and we also had tight ads. I think the Dennis Green tirade quote pretty much sums up the Super Bowl in a nutshell. They are who we thought they were. They, in fact, were. The Chiefs have one of the greatest offensive weapons under center and drilled out 21 straight points in seven minutes or less. Was anyone shocked by the ending of the game? I wasn't. This is the only team in the history of the NFL to overcome three straight double-digit deficits in the playoffs, including the 24-0 blunder of a mess against the Texans in the divisional round. Were we shocked? No, because we've seen this before. And if you watched any of the NFL playoffs this year, the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl wasn't anything new. On the opposite side of the field, the 49ers were exactly who we thought they were, too. The Niners were led by head coach Kyle Shanahan, a trendy offensive guru who is argued as the greatest young mind in football today. But lest we forget, Shanahan has done this before. And by this, I mean jumping out to a huge lead and then having a high-powered offense fizzle out in the crucial moments. Does anyone remember the infamous 28-3 lead his Falcons took in 2016 against the Patriots? Of course you do. Anyone remember who it was, the offensive coordinator of that embarrassment? Kyle Shanahan. Call it what you will, but Kyle Shanahan teams are slowly building a reputation of fizzling out in the most important moments. When it comes down to how the game was won, the underlying message of this Super Bowl is that building something from scratch and overcoming multiple barriers and hurdles along the way has far higher value than a get-rich-quick scheme. The Chiefs have repeatedly been building and knocking on the door, and I would argue that their experience was the deciding factor in the game. The 49ers, however, were a 4-12 and lottery team last season and have no pressure experience on their resumes. They literally were a lottery team last year, and no one counted them as a playoff team at all this year. Being a hot trend in sports does not equate to success. So go ahead, all of you bandwagon-jumping Niner fans. You can now take the tags off your jerseys and take down the flags from your ports that you all bought at Walmart yesterday. Second, the NBA underwent what they called drastic overhauls to their All-Star Game weekend festivities, including making all four quarters individual games, where the point values are reset to help promote the competitive nature of players and the winner of each quarter receiving $100,000 to donate to a charity of their choice. They also will reformat the final quarter of the game, depending on the score, to align with a score commemorating Kobe Bryant. So if the teams are both tied at 99, they'll probably play to 124. We get it. The All-Star Game in the NBA, well, hold on, let me back this up. The All-Star Game in any sport is just plain stupid. It's about as relevant as the vegan Bill of Rights at a steak sauce convention. Everyone and anyone watching knows that the game means nothing. The players don't care. The fans don't even care. The only thing that has any actual relevance in any of the big four sports All-Star Games is the Home Run Derby, and I hate baseball. So when the NBA comes out and says they've come up with these incredible changes to the All-Star game this year that are only going to raise the competition level even more, I'll just shrug my shoulders and wish them luck, because nothing they've done in the past to inject life into this boring weekend has worked before either. Remember when the dunk contest tried combining their talents with Wheel of Fortune and charades? Yeah, of course you don't. That crashed and burned like the stock market in 2008. 
Or remember when the NBA thought two-ball was going to be a thing, so they adopted it as part of their skills challenge? Yeah, nobody out there listening can still picture the random numbers glued all over the floor and teammates rebounding misses left and right. It wasn't a thing. The point is, the NBA needs to quit taking life advice from Barney Stinson and stop adhering to his one rule. And when I say his one rule, I am not referring to always having a pair of fake concert tickets in your pocket if Lily invites you to do something stupid, or flaxseed relieves upset stomachs, or you can tell how old someone is from their elbows. No, I'm not talking about those rules. I'm talking about the one rule that trumps all in the land of stupidity, and that is, new is always better. The thing is, New is not always better. In fact, we have countless examples where companies thought that new would be better, and in all reality, it wasn't. Remember New Coke in the 80s? Well, most millennial listeners out there were probably wondering what New Coke is. Well, I'll tell you. It was the drink that nearly bankrupt the Coke industry by changing the formula. And it wasn't good. Or what about Google Glass, that fancy-schmancy tech focal that led you to see the world through a new lens? Their theme song is also sung by Queen, Another One Bites the Dust. McDonald's tried high-end burgers with the Arch Deluxe, Samsung thought their new phone wouldn't blow up in people's eardrums, and now the NBA thinks that breaking the real game into a bunch of mini-games is just going to excite the crowds and blow the ratings through the roof. Here's the thing. It won't. Get the memo, Adam Silver. Quit being inconsistent with the package you sell fans every single February. Quit pandering to snooty PR posers who think this will change the landscape of the game. And quit using Barney Stinson as a spokesperson for your league slang. Because new is not always better. Finally, one of the more trendy topics being tossed around the sports landscape this week is the documentary airing about former Patriots receiver Aaron Hernandez. Which, by the way, if you haven't seen it, I'd strongly advise you to Netflix and chill with a documentary about a psychopathic killer. Now, I'm not going to break down the documentary from a Siskel and Ebert position, which I will say is a little sad that if I say the phrase two thumbs up, very few of you out there will probably know what I'm referencing. With that being said, I'm not going to tell you my opinion about Hernandez or his lawyers or his parents or any of the people being interviewed seeking their 15 seconds of fame. Go watch it for yourself and make your own assessment of the situation. What I am going to talk about is how the documentary created even more questions about an organization that for some reason continues to get more free passes by the American public than Hannah Brown gets reality TV show contracts. For the love, ABC, just take her off the air. What I'm more concerned about are the New England Patriots and their nonstop history with events that raise more eyebrows than they do glasses of champagne. From Spygate to Deflategate to the Jimmy Garoppolo for Second Rounders Gate to the Aaron Hernandez murders to their own owner getting happy endings at a massage parlor to Spygate 2.0 from Cincinnati to signing Antonio Brown. Holy mother of all that is sacred, can this team just make it 20 minutes without giving their public relations office a heart attack? You know who used to be bad boys? The Raiders. The cellar-dwelling land pirates of the AFC West whose ironic apex was reached during the tuck rule. The Raiders are trademarked as the bad boys of sports, the felons, the thugs, the Bill Romanowski lovers who eat kibbles and bits for breakfast. But let me ask you something. When's the last time the quote-unquote bad boys of the NFL have been in hot water? Jamarcus Russell getting caught with purple drink? Or maybe when Captain Jack Sparrow refused a contract to become their spokesperson? Go ahead and Google whatever you want, but the Raiders have honestly been looking to dump the label of thug from their brand, and their actions have proved as such. 
Vontez Burfitt gets an unsportsmanlike penalty, they cut him from the roster and banish him to oblivion. Antonio Brown acts like a tantrum-infested three-year-old on Dr. Phil. They cut him and let him go burglarize homes in South Florida instead. The Raiders are trying to err on the side of caution, and it has been beneficial for them. But the Patriots, however, have always been waiting in the gray area of unethical behavior. And the Hernandez documentary only reinforces that idea that they may be, in fact, a corrupt, perverted hierarchy of mob bosses meddling with players about to get whacked. Don't be shocked if next week Robert Kraftman introduces Joe Pesci as their new GM. We now shift to what matters this week, which, for this week, it's very hard to focus on anything else than the death of one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Forget cheating in baseball. Forget the Joker winning his 17th major. Let's face it, the Super Bowl is an afterthought compared to the loss of Kobe Bryant. The death of Kobe is something that no one will ever forget. It's the equivalent of Michael Jackson, Princess Diana, or John Lennon, just in the sphere of global sports relevance. He was that big of a figure. Yeah, everyone across the NBA landscape is heartbroken about his loss, and he will forever be championed as a heroic figure in purple and gold that will only be remembered with a rose-colored hue. Following his death, current Lakers star and trending diva LeBron James made the comment that the baton was passed from Kobe to him, and it is his job to carry the NBA to the next stage, which I'm sure he undoubtedly will. With that being said, however, James and Brian are cut from two completely different cloths, and for this episode, I'd like to examine their differences, how they will be remembered once James cleans out his locker, and what this means overall for their legacies. First, their upbringing could not be further apart. One was raised in a single-parent household in Akron, Ohio. The other was raised in a solid two-parent family in Italy with a multitude of wealth at their disposal. Both entered the NBA directly out of high school. However, they were not touted in the same manner. James was a child prodigy gracing Sports Illustrated covers every other week, while Bryant was a no-name potential lifetime project who execs were unsure about all the way to the 13th pick. Both have been the recipients of a ton of all-star selections, all-NBA team acknowledgments, MVP awards, finals MVP awards, and winners of multiple NBA finals. Finally, both of them have been argued for the 1A designation on the hierarchy of who holds the title as the second-best GOAT. The biggest difference between them is how they have navigated their careers. Kobe had a my-way-or-the-highway mentality, sacrificing relationships for his personal interests, and in all reality, the betterment of his legacy. While LeBron has lived the life of a bro mentality, constantly surrounding himself with his BFFs and however many other people he can pack onto the banana boat. Bryant went through ups and downs, staying loyal to a franchise for two decades, building and rebuilding and building again, standing at the top of the mountain and then at the bottom of the cellar. While LeBron always went where the grass was greener, constantly searching for the path of least resistance, the road most traveled, the places where the stock market was constantly rising, where Kobe cared about winning in his legacy, LeBron is more concerned about what people think about him and who he can sign on to co-star in Space Jam 2. Kobe and LeBron are two completely different basketball players. One is incredibly skilled at his finesse and pure basketball fundamentals, while the other has bullied his way to the basket for 17 years through brute strength and force, and now in the tail end of his career is still trying to figure out what is the proper procedure he should be following when he steps to the free throw line. Where Kobe is a Gen Xer who works hard, gets betrayed by his parents, and tries to elevate his life in all levels, LeBron is the millennial, constantly complaining about minimum wages at Starbucks and showcasing his life through social media. The two are in the conversation as the greatest players of all time, but are completely different in their attitudes on and off the court. Which brings me to this. 
In class last week, I showed a clip from the popular show, The Office, and one of my students argued, this is the greatest show of all time. To which I said, well, hold on. Are you saying it's better than classics like Seinfeld or even Cheers? The kid looked blankly back at me and said, well, I've watched a few episodes of Seinfeld, but I'm not sure if I've ever seen this Cheers show. Is that like older, like black and white TV kind of stuff? Right after he said this, one of his classmates says, no, 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 I totally know what you're talking about. Cheers was that one show where all those doctors worked together in Vietnam. Isn't that it? That's, that's Cheers, right? Yeah, I definitely think The Office is better than that. As he said this, all I could do was shake my head in disbelief and be like, these kids have no idea what's going on in the real world. I think this story epitomizes the difference between Bryant and James in the sense that they are bred from two completely different generations. One was stubborn, hard-nosed, never cared a single iota about what people thought about his actions in the locker room and on the floor, while the other panders to the technoverse and makes strategic plays with his Twitter account. Bryant was a legend who will forever be honored by his peers and media critics as a giant. James is also a legend who, however, personifies a millennial generation their obsession for things that are trending. Both are surefire locks in the Hall of Fame and have both enjoyed their time in the purple and gold. However, Bryant's was a career path built over 20 seasons, and James is a hot-ticket contract for future movie deals. You be the judge on which means more in the bigger picture. Thanks for listening to Brand Spanking New. We'll definitely be back next week. Unlike Jimmy G's title aspirations, maybe Dancing with the Stars will be a good off-season training program for him.